I'm Arya Grossman. And I'm Alex Drucker. Welcome to the Corin Podcast. Every week on the Corin Podcast, we invite you into the conversations with some of the Jewish world's leading thinkers, leaders, educators, and us to discuss the key issues, the ups and the downs, the challenges and the successes facing us today. This is not a podcast about books, but about what's happening off the page. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome to the third episode of the Corin podcast. This is a very special episode for Arie and myself as this is the first episode we've recorded sitting in the same room. Of course at a safe social distance from one another we have a great episode lined up today. We're going to be joined by Rabbi Shlomo Brody and Rabbanit Lorinovic discussing modern orthodoxy and halacha, how we manage the tension between halachic observance and engagement in the modern world just a very quick note before we jump into our episode uh, although Ari and i are sitting in the room together we have been talking to our guests via zoom and so unfortunately the audio isn't 100 percent perfect all of the time we just wanted to apologize for that at the top of the show um the episode is still absolutely fantastic so please enjoy let's jump right in We're delighted to be joined by Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Brody. Rabbi Brody is the founding director of the Tikva Overseas Institute. Rabbi Brody's writings focus on making Jewish texts accessible to broad audiences while applying them to contemporary social and ethical dilemmas. His first book, A Guide to the Complex, Contemporary Halachic Debates, published by Magid Books, received a 2014 National Jewish Book Award. A graduate of Harvard College, he received rabbinical donation from the Israeli Chief Rabbinate, an MA in Jewish Philosophy at the Hebrew University, and his PhD from Bar-Ilan, where he continues to serve as a postdoctoral fellow. Rabbi Brody, it's great to have you with us. How are you doing? Great to be with you guys today. So today, as we know, we're talking about uh, modern orthodoxy and halacha. Um, I think it might be helpful if we start off by perhaps... You know, from from your perspective, your opinion, your experience, how would you sort of define the terms modern orthodoxy? And then we'll talk about how it relates to the field of halacha. Yeah, no, it's a great topic and, and it's a great uh, thing to clarify from the get go. You know, I think some people think of modern orthodoxy as sort of figuring out a way to live and be integrated in the world socially, economically. And that's certainly part of what it is in some respects. Uh, but you don't have to be particularly modern orthodox or economically in the broader society. Um, there's certain topics that come up that are just like issues of like, you know, being in restaurants and having non-Jews and maybe serving wine or things along these lines. But they're not particularly ones I think that define the modern orthodox movement per se. In other words, I think of modern orthodoxy not only on a social level, but much more on an ideological level, on a fundamental level. And here, I, I'm certainly influenced by my father, Professor Baruch Brody, who wrote an essay several years ago about what is modern orthodoxy in the journal Hakira. And in it, he noted the fact that basically, it's part of what it fundamentally means is to be integrated in certain values that are popular in the modern era. Right? The value of human worth and dignity from the Renaissance period, of individual conscience, operation from the Reformation, the scientific revolution and searching for truth through science, the value of reason that you find in the Enlightenment, and certainly on the political level, from the great revolutions, right, the rule of law that all citizens should be judged equally, the fundamental principles of human rights. So 
fundamental values of liberty and equality, and of course, the importance of nationalism. I mean, all of these are big, big values, broadly speaking, that have come with the modern period. And I think modern Orthodox Jews in general, in one form or another, have embraced them all. And so then the question becomes, well, you know, how does this impact halakha in specific halakhic realms? I think it's critically important to understand you can be very much integrated in the world in a business level, even to a certain extent on a social level, but not think of yourself as modern Orthodox. There are many examples of this in the Haredi or ultra-Orthodox community of people who are very integrated in a lot of different ways, but certainly don't see themselves as modern Orthodox, I think precisely because they haven't embraced some of the values of modernity. So, Robert, it is the starting point then of modern Orthodox approach to halacha is that we're sort of encompassing all these other broader values, um, which are not necessarily taken into consideration so much in, in other communities. Like, what then makes sort of the modern Orthodox approach? It, it can't just be, you know, taking into consideration all these other factors. Is there a, an actual approach to deciding halacha that sort of differentiates modern Orthodox uh, halachic values to to others. Yeah, I I think so. I think that you know there, there are certain realms of some things are just new technologies. How to use new technologies or ovens on Shabbat. That's not really modern Orthodox per se. That's just living in the world today. But there are questions where times where halacha halacha um, has to address cases where these other values, which have been embraced because we see them as compatible or in some ways even fulfilling certain Torah values, uh, come into question then with some halakhic principles. Uh, And in that respect, that's where it gets a lot more complicated because it's not so much in my mind is saying, oh, we have some other ism out there and now let's create a force into halakhic text, but it's rather that the modern world has brought about certain values that we see to be true. We see to be true in the Torah as well, like values of human dignity. And then the question becomes, well, does this jive with certain modern sensitivities uh, when it comes to uh, how halachic texts work themselves out? Uh, issues of egalitarianism, and less issues of, say, for the women's inclusion, uh, issues of Judaism and democracy, issues of halacha and science. And these are really core issues of the modern experience. And I think modern orthodoxy has to sort of develop its own approach. I mean, if, sorry, can I, if I could just uh, sort of, calling out on something you, you, so you're saying one of the values that modern orthodoxy uh takes into consideration perhaps more so or in a, in a different way to uh you know haredi uh halachic decisors is the concept of human dignity that's certainly something that right-wing or haredi communities take into account the concept of covered habriot is is central to uh i mean to judaism so it, is it that the modern orthodox approach sort of applies it more generally than a Haredi, uh, Haredi Pasek might, a Haredi, a Haredi sort of halachic decisor might, or is it we define it totally differently, the, the idea of covered habri or human dignity? No, I don't think we define it totally differently. We're all working with the same halachic text. I mean, that's critical to, 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 uh, to highlight the fact that we're all working with the same text here. I mean, I don't buy the argument that, oh, non-Orthodox you know, people or post-game or whatever that might mean are less committed to halachic text. Uh, the question really becomes is much more of a factor of how much weight you sometimes attribute to such values. And in terms of how much is that going to uh, play a role in how you think about text 
and, and things along these lines. Uh, a lot of these questions aren't matters of do these values appear in the Torah or in the text. I mean, human dignity is a classic one, covered a briot, which is obvious as a luxury context. The question really becomes just how much weight and value do you give to it? And here, you know, I, I'm not so sure um, per se there's always a difference, but since we're talking about contemporary issues, I'll give you a real example. Right? Racism is a huge issue today, a lot of discussion about it. Uh, if you promote notions of kavod abriot, understand that all human beings are created in the image of God, and therefore uh, take along the lines of all those halakhic sources which say that all human beings need to be treated equally, Jews and non-Jews alike, no matter, no distinction between race uh, as well. Uh, so that's going to impact the way you think about a lot of public policy questions and issues going on in the world today, uh, civil rights in general. Right? If you, the more and more that you promote these ideas of Selim Elohim, I think the more and more you're going to be find yourself active in promoting certain civil rights and political rights. I don't mean this is a left-wing or a right-wing thing in terms of progressives or conservatives. I mean this much more in terms of you see that there's a social movement out there in the world, civil rights. And the question becomes, what does the Torah have to say about this? I think if you promote human dignity and understand those sources of covenant breed in that way, you're going to be much more sympathetic making sure that all human beings are treated equally on a political level as well. Right. I mean, you touched on some of them already, but what would you say, looking at, again, the, the modern Orthodox posek, the halachic decider, what, what, what are some of the unique challenges or considerations that a uh, modern Orthodox posek might have that we wouldn't find in other communities? Uh, I think, you know, the two, I think the most obvious example um, relates to nationalism and the general patriotism, and, and I, I'd say more broadly speaking, I think notions of civic responsibility. The modern era has allowed, has promoted ideas of civic participation, of equal participation of all citizens, and has certainly allowed Jews to be integrated on a civic level in Western countries around the world, and of course in, in Israel, Zionism. And I think Poskim that take into account a real tradition of civic responsibility, um, then have to have sorts of implications for a lot of different questions. I mean, just starting for a simple issue that my next book about, army service. Right? Can Jews participate in the armies, both in Israel, of course, where this is a huge issue, but also around the world, where this was also a very big issue, particularly in the beginning of the 20th century, World War One and World War Two. I think if you're a modern Orthodox post, uh, some of the notions of civic responsibility to allow um, participation in the army, it's going to be much more of a priority for you. Uh, whereas if you don't have a deep civic sense of uh, civic responsibility, you're going to be much less inclined to this. I'll give you another example. Organ donation. Huge topic, right? Huge fight on this issue. Now, in America and in England and around the world, big division about Poskim on this issue. Can, how do you define death in a way so that people, once they're brain death, can they donate organs or can their family do donate organs on their behalf? This is an issue which is hugely divisive in America and England, whereas in Israel and the religious Zionist community, it's probably the only issue, with exception of maybe army service, in which religious Zionist poskim all agree that you are allowed to donate organs afterwards. I mean, it's a remarkable phenomenon. What else do people agree upon? And I think the reason is, is that we understand if that we can't donate our organs, well, there, will no, there won't be any organs to let people live in the state of Israel. 
So I think that's a great example of just civic responsibility uh, that really is central for modern Orthodox post And I think the other example for us is, has to do with women and feminism and the role of women in Jewish life as a whole. Um, certainly modernity has embraced sense of egalitarianism, while halacha I don't think is fully compatible with all of the notions of feminism or all of the formulations of feminism uh, that are out there in the modern world. I, I think certainly uh, there's a broad understanding in the modern Orthodox community that these are values that can and should be integrated uh, because they are found in rooted Torah values as well and has implications also. Uh, okay, I mean, it's really interesting that you mentioned this concept of civic responsibility. Looking at sort of, if we want to sort of divide up um, modern orthodoxy to the diaspora and when, um, within Israel, how would you say that interplay between civic responsibility and and halachic decision-making has differed in in diaspora communities versus Israeli communities? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a tough question to fully answer. Uh, and here, I think you have a little bit of a divide between uh, modern Orthodox, as it were, in the diaspora, as opposed to religious Zionism in Israel. And the two aren't exactly the same, uh, but certainly religious Zionists feel a deep, deep responsibility for a broad range of social issues. You know, the army being the simplest one of them, but contributing to society in many, many different ways. But I think this is true in general in uh, places like America or Britain or Australia, uh, where there's also a sense of saying, well, there's a, a notions of obligation that we should feel ourselves obligated to serve in a lot of different ways, the country, and certainly to respect the laws of the land. I mean, Dina the Malchute Dina is uh, an important principle, whereas those who see themselves more of as, as a self-secluded ghetto, uh, if you will, right, not imposed by the authorities, but just self-exclusion, you know, self I think are be much less inclined to, to care about the law of the land in the same way. You see this, by the way, in terms of the reactions to corona. I mean, I think that's the best explanation for why parts, not all, of course, and I think this is terrible that people make this generalization, but that parts of the ultra community in Israel and around the world had a much harder time getting in line with some of the social restrictions. I think it's part of the fact that people in the modern Orthodox community were much more uh, integrated and much more accepting of the notion of both science and the scientific revolution and scientific findings, as well as the fact of following sort of civic authorities when it comes to these issues. Uh, it took longer in the ultra-Orthodox community for that to kick in, at least in some parts of it, and we paid a very, very big price because of it. Um, if we could take it sort of more macro again, um, is the modern Orthodox approach Halacha, is it more proactive or reactive? Is modern orthodoxy trying to sort of fit thing, fit the modern world into halacha, or is it trying to fit halacha into the modern world? Yeah, I mean, it's important to clarify here. That's a good question. Uh, I, I want to be clear, though, that I think modern orthodoxy, like the ultra orthodox community, is dedicated on the fullest level to following halacha. And period, right? Now, so sort of that, that's what we're trying to do here. Now, part of what that means, though, is a certain vision, and I think this is particularly important in the modern Orthodox worldview of understanding that halakha has its place in all realms of life and the human experience. Uh, and included in that today uh, is regarding much broader questions of uh, the public sphere, 
um, broader questions of civic engagement and broader questions of sort of the ideologies and the great ideas of the times. Now, by its nature, halacha is going to be conservative. That's a good thing, meaning we want to embrace the time, uh, timeless elements, right? The eternal element or aspect, of course, of Torah. And by its nature, I think we're not quick to change or integrate other ideas. At the same time, um, I think we part of what defines the mono-orthodox experience is being open to some of the broader ideological movements that emerge over time. And then the question becomes, right, well, are these good? Are these good ideas? And how do they relate to how we understand Torah and the Torah values and experience? Many ideological movements out there are bad, and we should reject them. Communism, good one to reject. Pacifism, good one to reject. Uh, And many others. Um, So, you know, I, I think one of the things we have to be very wary about is uh, embracing ideas which aren't really good in their own right and certainly not compatible with the Torah. And I think one of the biggest challenges that modern orthodoxy has today, actually, uh, is the fact that uh, we're always going to want to be somewhat reactionary because we are conservative and slow um, to change, which is a good thing. Uh, but at the same time, you want to sometimes be proactive, like to get ahead of the ball on certain issues in order to make sure you really can be responsive. What we don't want to find ourselves is losing people and members of the community uh, because we're not responsive in terms of halacha to some of the pressing values which our members and and I think Torah leaders have embraced but have to integrate. At the same time, right, there's a deep balance because some of the new isms and values aren't always so good. And so by its nature, it's going to be a little bit slower and a conservative process to respond to that. Um, I guess on the topic of modern orthodoxy being on the ball, perhaps leading the way um, for for the wider Jewish world, um, can you think of any, let's say, unique decisions or important decisions made by modern orthodox poskim or halachists in the past that have actually impacted on Judaism as a whole beyond the Dalad Amot, the, the, the walls of modern orthodoxy? Well, I mean, I think the modern orthodox world has, you know, a big impact on, on our understanding of Judaism and the broader Jewish world's understanding of Judaism. Um, I, I think that we've led the way in a lot of issues regarding um, the, you know, the inclusion of women into the broader Jewish uh, life. I think we've led the way in that, that respect. Uh, I think that in broads, not, not as well as I'd like to see, but in many other areas, so we see that I think mono-Orthodox Jews are integrating with a lot of civic issues and sort of issues of nationalism and Zionism and the important or the positive values of nationalism that we've embraced and sort of made um, fully compatible and sort of fully integrated with our Torah lifestyle. Uh, The thing I'd also mention here, though, is that I think that it's important for people who are engaged in the modern world to sometimes push back against the trends of modernity. And in this respect, I think Torah, modern orthodoxy could be countercultural today uh, in a more conservative, small c manner uh, by pushing back against some of the trends that I think are sort of excessive going on with ideas, whether it goes regards to abortion or whether it's regard to euthanasia or many other issues that which I talk about in my book. Um, I think that Allah is much more conservative on small c. And uh, we should stick, stay true to these values and try to bring those values to the public sphere. Uh, very, very important in that respect. So, you know, it's not always about embracing 
what's going on in the world. Part of it's being, uh, pushing back what's going on in the world. But overall, the important gist of things is that we're fully engaged in that cultural dialogue. Are there other areas um, that you would say are those are places where modern orthodoxy um, could, you know, could be playing this role of being involved in modern culture, but at the same time being a counterculture? Sure. I mean, think of the realm of education, liberal education, education as a whole. What's the purpose of education? Uh, There's a lot of trends out there today um, in which, you know, I I think that... um, Education is no longer seen as being this experience of searching for truth, of searching for great ideas. It's more about embracing some forms of social justice or some particular vision, usually progressive of a certain type of social vision. Uh, That precisely modern Orthodox Jews who have embraced, on the one hand, traditional notions of Torah, but at the same time have embraced the idea of the great ideas and the great movements of civilization understand that there's a great value to traditional liberal education. Liberal by mean here in terms of understanding the values of the arts and the humanities and the sciences and a broader human uh, worldview. Uh, And I think that the monolithic experience is very much going to have a hard time dealing with secular education world where the values of seeking truth aren't being promoted in the most profound of ways. Uh, you know, so I think in some ways I could put it this way. You know, if modern orthodoxy is about the engagement with the modern world and modern ideas, one of the hard things we're having today is that modernity as a whole isn't that exciting when it comes to ideas because there's so much of a push today in modernity against uh, the search for capital T truth and the search for great movements and ideas. Uh, and that's something which I think is bad for the world. I think modern orthodoxy should push it back against that. So with, with that in mind, are there any sort of innovative techniques um, that a modern orthodox halachist uh, would use uh, to you know, come to their decision? In your book, in Guide to the Complex, you, you tackle some very difficult issues um, and nothing is as clear as you know, permitted or, or forbidden. Um, there's discussion along the way. So is, is there a particular approach that a modern Orthodox halachist takes, um, you know, being able to draw on that wealth of, of wisdom that perhaps uh, other, other communities uh, shy away from? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the most important aspect here of what I think of as modern Orthodox psak is A, of course, being rooted in classic halachic text, right? You have to be part of that conversation and those sources of authority, uh, but B, being able to embrace different values. And I don't want to use the term balance, but integrate them all into your calculations when it comes to coming to a final conclusion. And so there can be, obviously, there are different opinions, even within the modern Orthodox world when it comes to a lot of uh, hot button issues and certainly in the broader Orthodox world. And I think what defines modern Orthodoxy in this respect is that at least your PSAC takes into account various values, right? It is a part of the calculation. Obviously, some values are going to be stronger than others, and some are going to trump other considerations because that has how you have to come to some form of conclusion. Otherwise, it's not really a psak halacha. But if the psak at least is cognizant of the competing values in these circumstances, I think we've gone a long way 
in terms of advancing, you know, sophisticated mono-orthodox halachic thinking. Um, we we've talked a lot about mon um, halacha from the perspective of the poskim, from those making the decisions. Um, from the perspective of, I guess, the the Jew in the pew or the feet on the ground. How how do you think we can respond to those that let's say find themselves as part of modern Orthodox communities, but see that um, as a reason, let's say, to be more of a focus on the modern than the Orthodox? That they sort of see modern Orthodoxy as well. I like being modern Orthodox because it means that I can still be engaged in the modern world, but they don't see it for its benefits to how it enriches their halachic observance. Yeah, I mean, listen, there are different levels of halachic observance in the modern orthodox community. And here, why I refer to the modern orthodox community is, I I assume you're questioning about on a sort of a sociological level. You look in your average modern orthodox community in Israel or in England or America or Australia, and there's certainly a wide range of levels of halachic commitment. Uh, By the way, I think that in some ways is uh, a strength of the modern orthodox community because you know, we respect the fact that modern life offers a lot of easy opportunities for a lot of different lifestyles. And we want to sort of embrace people and keep people in the fold as much as possible. So that is a benefit to the modern orthodox community. Uh, and that's part of, I think, uh, its uh, general worldview when it comes to understanding and appreciating the modern lifestyle. It's obviously a disadvantage as well because, you know, certain people might be socially orthodox or they're, you know, they're less committed in a lot of different ways. Um, and, you know, I think that that's a struggle, of course, and part of the difficulties of modern orthodoxy as a whole on a sociological level. It's very understandable to me why many people like more right-wing or Haredi worldviews because it's a lot easier to sort of be more black and white and draw boundaries and lines meaning easier to be consistent in that manner. Um, that's a struggle for us. And, you know, I think we've struggled for that for a while. We're going to continue to struggle with that by definition. But I don't think that's, uh, in of its own right, an inherent flaw uh, in modern orthodoxy, but it is a challenge. And part of what we have to do is continue to educate and try to inspire people to be more and more halakhically committed and understand that uh, there's a good value, absolute commitment and absolute fidelity to Allah and Allah's system. So is your, is your outlook for modern orthodoxy generally positive? I, I assume so, because this is, this is how, how you live your life and how, how we live ours, myself and Ari. Um, but, you know, is, you don't see modern orthodoxy as the, you know, the, uh, the, the easier option, it allows me to do what I want to do whilst also calling myself religious. You see this as, uh, you know, the, the, the ab initio, that's the lachat khila, and you have a, a generally positive outlook for the, the future of modern orthodoxy. Well, I definitely see this as a lachat khila. I don't think of myself or my community, uh, by definition, at least as being less religious or less committed than any other members of the orthodox community. I should also state, right, that I feel myself very much a part of the broader Orthodox community. I think it's important not to create unnecessary divisions, right? And we certainly learn and live and feed off of one another, the communities. I think it's very important. Um, so yes, you know, I think this is a lechatila option, a way of living. Uh, am I optimistic? No, actually, I'm not so optimistic. Uh, and that's because uh, the description of why I've talked about now in terms of balancing a lot of values is not always easy to do. Uh, it's not easy to 
grow, train a whole a community and the leaders that are committed to these values, uh, and certainly you know to to educate a generation of post game who I think are committed to these values uh, and to lead from uh, these values, and, and therefore you know it's it's a struggle. It's a struggle in the Western countries, in America, in England, in South Africa, in Australia, where I think the pulls of modernity are very strong to be sort of push people away from religion, or that religious people see so much of a, I think, anti-religious or a non-conducive environment that they're pushing away in the other direction as well. So, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical uh, by the future prospects of mono-orthodoxy in the diaspora. Um, I'm much more optimistic, though, when it comes to Israel, because I think that being in a religious sphere, uh, excuse me, in the Jewish sphere, uh, helps people be integrated in a much more organic and natural manner. Uh, but obviously, you know, monothex people in Israel have a lot of struggles here as well, um, because partly I think because it's so easy to be integrated in a broader society while still feeling very Jewish, we have a lot of difficulties in sort of raising our youth to stay fully halakhically committed. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if I call myself optimistic, uh, but I like to be positive and forward-thinking and uh, certainly be hopeful. And the reason why I'm hopeful is if you think this is truth, then ultimately you think that truth will win the day. So we have a lot of challenges that we face, uh, but nonetheless I'm hopeful uh, that we will overcome some of these challenges. Okay, well, on that positive note, and please God, truth will win the day. Uh, thank you so much, Rabbi Brody, for your time. It's been really, really fascinating. Um, and obviously, we look forward to welcoming you back to the Korean podcast soon. Thank you guys so much. It's really great to be with you. We're delighted to be joined by Rabbanit Laurie Novik, who is a director and head writer of Durachaha, Women and Mitzvot.org. Durachaha is an initiative of Yeshiva Haritzion's Israel Koshitsky Virtual Bet Midrash and the Stella K. Abraham Bet Midrash for Women at Migdal Oz. She has worked as a senior responder on Nishmat's health and halacha website, diotzat.org, since 2002, and taught at Nishmat for many years. Rabbanit Novik is also a member of the pilot cohort of Yotzat Halacha, who have received advanced training in fertility issues and halacha. She has degrees in Bible, Jewish education, and Talmud, and has also done additional graduate work in counseling. Rabbi Novik, it's great to have you with us on the Quran Podcast. Welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Baruch um, So as you know, this week we're looking at um, the realm of halacha and modern orthodox halacha. Um, I think to start with, maybe a good place to start would be to sort of to set out the terms slightly, how we define halacha, how we define modern orthodoxy, and your thoughts on that. Right. I think that really is part of the issue here, because modern orthodoxy, of course, means a lot of different things to a lot of people. A lot of people find themselves in the modern orthodox community. Um, Sometimes it's a function of ideals, ideology, and sometimes it's more a function of praxis, what level or what style of halachic practice or lifestyle makes sense to them. So we're really talking about a vast, vast range of people. You know, we could throw out lots of different institution names or rabbi names, and they're all extremely different, and they all in their own way, you could make an argument that they belong among the modern orthodox. One of the essential, I'd say the essential characteristic of modern orthodoxy is a commitment to the idea that engagement with the world uh, and the issues of modernity is inherently 
valuable in a way that can enhance our commitment to understanding of and practice of, uh, of Torah in our lives. And uh, beyond that, there's an awful lot, there's an awful lot of room. Okay, so uh, then taking it to the, the practical level, um, you know, if modern orthodoxy is the engagement with or the accepting of the modern world, uh, where do you see the biggest areas of intersection between modernity and how that affects halacha or how halacha might affect our approach to, to modernity? There are a lot of areas in which someone in a modern orthodox community might be having a more intense encounter with modern issues that we all face than someone outside of such a community. For example, um, if there's greater engagement with secular culture, so there's going to be a lot more questions about secular culture, whether it's going to a ball game at different times of years or, or, or ever, or whether it's watching or engaging in certain activities over the internet, uh, whether it's a certain approach to science, uh, whether it's modern values, things like feminism or egalitarianism, and modern conceptions of ethics and morality which are not always exactly the same as at least uh, simple readings of our traditional texts. And there's also, I think, a very big question about self-expression, which is kind of taken as, it's a very central aspect, I think, of the modern world, the idea that our humanism is in part, uh, is in part uh, fully realized through self-expression, which is something that I don't think you see as much of in traditional texts. It's something that comes up a lot when you're dealing with questions of, in particular of tzniyut and, uh, and uh, men and women in those frameworks is how, how, that, how that relates to self-expression in a way that I don't know it did in the past. So there's a, there's a whole litany of stuff that you could come up with. There's also something I think even more essential, which is that there's a conception that, and this is, maybe it's even a postmodern conception, that everything is subject to scrutiny. So that things that have been done for a very long time in a certain way um, are called into question almost from the ground up. And that creates a whole host of halachic issues that, let's say, in a more uh, traditional community, in a community that's more uh, that that that's less engaging with an outside culture, so it's perhaps more bound by a particular conception of Masora. Um, there are questions like that that just wouldn't be raised. I'll give you an example. Let's say um, uh, Rav Hankin deals with with whom I've had the pleasure of learning and working for many years. Deals with the question of women reciting Sheva Brachot. So there are many communities in which that would not be a question. There's nothing. There's nothing even to ask. And yet in a, a more modern context, that can become a very pressing question for, for, for communities uh, for a number of reasons. So there's that sense that the ground is not necessarily completely solid. Perhaps that's even a little postmodern. Um, taking, I guess, I mean, you gave one example, you just mentioned of Rob Henkin. Um, what are the different, bearing in mind what you've said so far, what are some of the unique challenges or considerations that a modern orthodox posek or halakhic decisor has to think about, bear in mind when they are making a ruling on a, you know, on a, on a topic like you mentioned, whether it's women saying shara bracha or other, you know, halakhic cases that come up, what are the unique considerations they might have to make that aren't found outside of the modern orthodox community? 
All right, so here, here it's really important to, to, to clarify some things, I think, about, about the halachic process. Because, for example, Rufenkin's a really good example just because I've had the privilege of working with him. I don't think he necessarily conceives of himself as a modern Orthodox posaic, uh, though he would likely show up on many lists of such. And the reason is why, and I think because, again, if we're talking about modern orthodoxy, both in terms of community and in terms of ideology, that could potentially affect the halakhic process in different ways. So in terms of community, it's a question of, and this is something any posaic has to deal with. First of all, there's a question of who the posaic himself is, right? What's his training? What's his background? Rufenkin, for example, is university educated. Is there a difference between how you relate to things if you have that type of education or if you don't have that kind of education. What are your values and what are your sensitivities? Um, you know, there's not, Rev. Lichtenstein has this line in his article about abortion that um, that halachic ruling shouldn't be uh, the output of microcomputers, right? We're human beings. We have values. We have sensitivities. So whoever is being turned to is a human being situated in a time and place who's come out of a tradition, including teachers of Torah and Torah level and Torah institutions that have helped uh, helped him achieve uh, his uh, his status as a posaic, and all those things are going to affect his his psak. So you know, a modern Orthodox community might turn to a specific person because he he is coming in some sense from their world. Um, that being said, I don't think he's consciously saying um, I need to be who I am in doing this psak. A person is generally speaking inherently who they are. Right. Um, there might be a certain level of self-awareness, but really self-awareness or having values or having sensitivities are, of course, not the unique province of the modern Orthodox. Any good posaic is going to be someone with very strong set of values and sensitivities and some sense of who he is and what his strengths and weaknesses are. Um, the question of whom the posaic is addressing. Right. So if we're talking about a community, so. We, hint, we hinted or touched on this when it came to Sheva Brachot, right? So there's the question of what are the concerns that are real in this community? And the concerns that are real in community A might not be real in community B, like college students trying to figure out if they can study for their final on Shabbos is not going to be an issue in a whole range of Orthodox communities, but is probably a bigger issue in some modern Orthodox communities. So it's who they are. Um, we already said that they're heterogeneous, but another aspect of it is the nature of their own halachic commitment, right? So a modern Orthodox community might have a different conception of what halachic commitment is than another community, and that's something that the posik is going to have to take into account um, in his psak, because whenever you speak, this is not just true in halacha, it's anywhere, right? You have to have a, an awareness of both what you're saying and how it's going to be heard. Um, there's also a question of perception of halacha. I think that sometimes in the modern Orthodox community, there's a perception of halacha as um, almost like an obstacle course. It's sort of like, how, how are we Yodse uh, to be able to, to, to pursue other values? Because these other values do have religious value in the modern Orthodox community that can feel very legitimate. Of course, it's a very narrow vision of halacha, it's a little bit of a caricature. It's not really fair. There are a lot of people with a lot of very profound relationships to halacha in every community. But a posik, of course, has to take into account how people are thinking about halacha. I mean, in general, I think, and not just in modern orthodoxy, I think across the board, there's a tendency to think about halacha as a question of asur or mutar, period. Like, 
what's the bottom line or what's the juicy bit or what's the takeaway? And certainly our culture feeds that kind of discussion, right? We just want to know what was particularly salacious or what was particularly controversial or what's, you know, what's the final thing that someone said. But halacha has the potential to be much more than that. And in fact, in terms of, and this is moving a little to ideology, if we're talking about an ideological modern Orthodox community, then that's a community that should be Dafka very, very interested in the process and not just the result. In particular, because often in the halachic process, you have the kind of di dialectical tension that is echoed in modern Orthodox life in a lot of ways, meaning real questions get off the ground when you have values that might conflict, or halachot that might conflict, or the halachot interfacing with values in a way that's not crystal clear. And that's something where where I think communities as a whole, we could really do a lot of work. It's something we're trying to do on Deracha, the website on women in mitzvot that I work on. We're, we're working very hard at creating a source-based, thoughtful discussion, laying out a lot of different perspectives, because we want people to see the ways in which halachic sources really do tie in to real questions and the ways in which the process itself can be informative. Another thing that's going to come up has to do with the nature of authority of the posaic. So, you know, a gadol, a gadol, at least in theory, right, in a gadol system, which is not really the modern orthodox system so much, um, a gadol, at least in theory, has a lot of authority. Of course, you know, there are limits to that too. Not everything a gadol wants to get across is going to get across. But um, in the modern orthodox community, in general, I think there's even a stronger sense of autonomy or desire for autonomy, at least um, on the part of the community. And I think generally speaking, they're more interested in turning to postkim who respect that. Now, of course, those postkim can be in other communities. Ravashir Vice isn't, I don't necessarily know that you'd characterize him as modern Orthodox, but he's probably been one of the most important modern Orthodox, postkim for modern Orthodoxy, let's say during this coronavirus and increasingly in a range of other areas as well. And one of the things that this, um, this uh, kind of push towards autonomy uh, creates is a desire for the halachic process to leave leave a little bit more room for the individual or a little bit more room uh, for the community. Uh, Rav Lichtenstein was notorious for this. Uh, people would ask him a halachic question and he'd say, well, Rashi said this and the Rush said that. And that, that was, you know, that could be the psak sometimes, you know, laying it out there where, again, it's not necessarily about the bottom line. And once it's about the process and understanding that we're trying to to follow Dvar Hashem, but that there's there might be more than one option that could be halachically legitimate in a given case, that's something that has the potential to increase autonomy if there's real buy-in um, among, among the pee on the table. So that's something where I think sometimes in particular with modern orthodoxy, that the community can sometimes be in a certain cultural place and the leadership might be in a different cultural value places some of the time, which can lead to some tension. And one of the interesting wrinkles there, of course, is that you now have increasing modern orthodox um, Jews from America turning to authorities in Israel. And that's fantastic. But on the other hand, if you really believe, as we've been discussing, that a lot of what halach, the process of halacha has to do is to take into account the individual and the community, um, that's really complicated. Because in fact, the Datilomi world and the modern Orthodox world are not the same. And there can be a lot of facts on the ground that would be very different. Now, if you're a modern Orthodox Hosek, um, 
I don't think the halakhic process is really different. What might be different is, again, the questions that are coming your way, the set of values that you might have approaching those questions. Um, there might be certain types of information that you would pursue or look at or take into account um, more readily or res less readily. Um, and the, um, and then the knowledge of the community, again, it's going to be related to the modern Orthodox community that you're dealing with. But in terms of the pure, that, that, that pure sense of, can I understand what this question is? Can I translate it into halachic terms without losing sight of the humanity of it? Can I put the pieces together and develop a coherent conception of what has to be? It's not going to be specific. Um, to someone being modern Orthodox. And in fact, it would be to the detriment of someone's psak if there were a sense that there was a specific ideological agenda um, animating that process. Well, I, if I could ask, just ask a question. Um, but you mentioned before how something that perhaps maybe defines the modern Orthodox uh, worldview is this desire for autonomy um, and then there's also the, as what you refer to it as, as an obstacle, viewing halakha as an obstacle course. Has that not perhaps led to, um, as modern people, you know, we look for information ourselves. You know, I, I've, you know, my, my back has been hurting in such a way. So I Google it before I go to the doctor. You know, I've got a certain halakha question. Maybe I Google it before I go to, I go and ask, uh, you know, a primary source or I go and ask, or I go and ask uh, the POSEC or, or whatever it is. Has not has that not maybe led to a, a watering down of halachic observance in the modern Orthodox world that we sort of just go and we we try and we find what's easiest. I can you know I can tick off my obligations for the day before I you know go and go to the baseball game. Is that what's going on? First of all, I don't know that it's fair to say that that's uh, that that's characteristic of the community as, as a whole. Of course, again, there's variation within the community, but if a um, if a member of, let's say, of a modern Orthodox community wants to Google around, right, to just get to a certain bottom line, it's there. It affects things because what we were talking about before, which is that it further erodes the possibility of realizing a modern Orthodox and every other type of Orthodox value, which is that halacha would have, would have meaning and be part of our conversation of how we're organizing our lives in a in a fuller way. So it's natural for people to want to um, sometimes short circuit the process. Sometimes what goes on is not even short circuiting. A lot of times, just in an unconscious way, because on some level you're your own posik, right? You're the main posik in your own life on a day to day level, minute to minute. You're making decisions all the time. Is there still going to be time for me to daven if I do this? What bracha do I make on that? Am I saying this? Is it going to be litoelet or is it going to be a problem of Lush and Hara? Some of us do it more consciously more often. But on the whole, we're poskening for ourselves an awful lot, right? That's that's our experience of our lives. And this question of who who else gets to be in there? What other kind of voice gets to be in there? And I think that the medical analogy is a good one increasingly people feel that they want to go into their doctors informed and armed with information. And great post-gym have no trouble handling people who are coming to them and have more information to bring to the table. In fact, that's one of the goals of Derecha 
is that unfortunately so many uh, women's issues are treated as though they're inherently controversial that we want to be able to enable people to have a really well-informed base of knowledge to work with so then they can ask their questions so then they can move forward and that's constructive for everybody because on some level sometimes if you try to ask a halachic shayla and you and you're not holding it all in what the issue is you almost shoot yourself in the foot you're not able to communicate um what some modern orthodox rabbis have done and that's particularly interesting to me as someone who's involved with halacha over the internet is to explore new types of genres or formats for bringing halacha to other people. Uh, look, the, the world of mass halachic works really started exploding, I guess, in the 80s and 90s. And there's there's a ton of stuff out there, but if you look at stuff, let's say a classic work like Shmir Shabbos Kirchita, okay? So if, if you look at it, so the top is very readily understandable to anybody. And the bottom, the footnotes, you know, if 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 you're relatively aware of the topic, you can follow it. But if you're not particularly learned, it's not really designed for you. What what I'm seeing more and more in the kind of, and I'd say this is also characteristic of Datilumi community in Israel, um, and that might even be taking the lead in this in some areas, is is an attempt to really develop a whole world, and Corinne is, of course, involved in this deeply, an attempt to, to develop a whole world of popular halachic works that are kind of accessible from A to Z, so that someone can come in without a lot of knowledge, and the work is going to take the time to spell things out um, to really to really explain explain the reasoning, which is something that goes a long way toward addressing a desire for autonomy, because one major aspect of a desire for autonomy, I mean, autonomy, it's not, we're not talking about radical autonomy here. If people are asking for a psaac, they're not totally making laws for themselves, right? But if someone's got some kind of soft version of autonomy, I forget who coined that phrase, but if someone's got a soft version of autonomy that they're pursuing from a sake, the idea that they're gonna be able to understand what they're talking about and what the terms are and how the decision is gonna be arrived at goes a long way Towards satisfying, um, towards satisfying that need. What's a challenge when you do this, though, and there's a certain type of cost, is that the more you put into writing, um, the more you're formalizing things that weren't previously formalized. And it's not necessarily always the case that that's for the best. You have a certain tension here within a community, not just the modern Orthodox community, but perhaps in particular, then the one hand, the community wants its customs or its way of life or its religious gestalt to be respected within the halakhic process. And on the other hand, well, if it's not written down, it doesn't count. Um, and those things are inherently in tension. It's not clear that we want everything to be uh, always to be spelled out. I'll just add from working with, in particular with Rav Henkin, there are many times where I've seen him come to halachic conclusions where, you know, and this is classic halachic reasoning, you talk about different snifim lahakel, different factors that might come into play in combination in a certain case. And it's not like after he's reached the decision, he would say to you, oh yes, it was 10% this and 20% that and 50% this other factor. You know, these are the relative values of factors A, B, and C in a way that a lay person might want to be spelled out because there is a fair amount of this even so that has to do with back to the posik the posik's level of knowledge and that level of knowledge and also your Hashem and and 
closeness to halacha, you know, is going to also engender a certain level sometimes of intuition. And that intuition isn't something that you can necessarily always back up in writing. And you don't necessarily always want it to have to be backed up in writing. Um, looking at, let's say, I mean, obviously we you touched on it earlier, not, uh, I guess, a grouping that's not necessarily typical of all modern Orthodox communities, but exists, of, let's say, um, people who associate with the modern Orthodox community, but more, let's say, on the modern side than the Orthodox side. Um, and you, you talked about, about the idea of buy-in before. Um, how would you say that the, the ideas you mentioned, the sort of a transparency of the halakhic process of giving access to the Makorot, have you seen, let's say that, number one, have you seen that that has impacted on an increase in buy-in? Um, and also what other means would you say it could be to encourage, in I guess in this blunt term, of buy-in from people who don't necessarily buy into the halakhic process? Well, I'm a big believer in education. I'm a big believer in the Jewish people and I'm a big, big believer in education. And generally speaking, my experience is that when people when people take the time to really approach and really consider um, uh, halachic discussions from the inside, it can be transformative. Uh, the trick is that it's not always easy to do. And one of the reasons why it's not always so easy to do is because, of course, we're talking about different things that require interpretation. And we're talking about a real discourse with a whole set of logic and rules and terminology and sometimes that terminology isn't even friendly and in a modern context and i think this is something modern orthodox communities are particularly sensitive to right it's our, our use of language right something that certainly in, in the in in broader world events is something we're talking about a lot also so what do you um what you can't just put a source sheet out there um and expect that people are going to be able to do what they want to do. I actually, I had that experience. It's back to, you know, how I got involved in this project with Durach. I taught halacha for many, many years. And I saw that the, the sources are not enough. There needs to be a lot of discussion, a lot of consideration of what people do and don't understand. You, you just can't assume. It doesn't matter if you translate them. It's not just a matter of translate them. There's a way the thinking is going on. And there's also back to cultural habits, there's our cultural habit of deconstructing things before we understand them. And that critical sensibility can be very helpful, but sometimes you need to be able to suspend that critical sensibility for a little bit because you can't even see that your, your question is being addressed because it needs to be translated in a language that you can connect to. Um, you know, you could have, let's say, three sources that all ultimately say that um, sh men still need to say Shaloh Asani Isha. But the way those sources are phrased can be radically different in a way that's going to be very important for who's learning the material, right? When we were working on the topic, we were very careful under Acha about how we chose what we, what we were putting in and what not so that we could help create a constructive a constructive learning experience about it, not necessarily with a predetermined goal of you have to think X or you have to think Y, but let's give it a chance for us to just understand what's going on as challenging as it can be. So that's that's one 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 old thing, which is that I believe in education, but I also don't think it's simple. In terms of how to increase buy-in, um, that's a lot more complicated. It's it's much more complicated. I think, and this is where we come back to, well, is it modernity or is it post-modernity? Because we're, I think we really struggle right now 
to with certainly with with a younger generation to, to to be able to to for them to get excited about saying that something that they believe or even was raised in to feel with any confidence that has truth value um, is something that they're finding to be I think a challenge often I can't tell you how many students have come to me uh, saying that this, this is just a question that comes up. Well, if I were born to a Christian family, what would what would I be thinking now? And what does that say about my Yiddishkeit? Which is um, which I think is a, a a postmodern kind of question to be asking. It's it's assuming that what's going to be solid is going to depend largely on a certain frame of reference, subjective frame of reference that you're coming that you're coming from but what it means is that i think a lot of um a lot of of efforts um in the past to kind of just be doubled down on the authoritativeness or doubled down on you know this is the only true way to be an ethical person or this is the only true way to be a senua woman or whatever it is i don't think that's too successful right now there's a classic work of rav amital where he discusses the tension between obligation or commitment to halacha and feeling connected to halacha. And the resolution he offers is ne'emanut, um, faithfulness. It's interesting, the question is one of the cases where the questions are much more famous than the answer. Um, and faithfulness, I think I think he hit on something, not that he needs my uh, issue or my, 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 my thumbs up, but I think I think he really hit on something very fundamental here. Um, I think there's something very appealing to say, well, work on this day in and day out. You know, this is something that's, it's going to keep showing up. The Jewish community is going to keep showing up for you in all the wonderful ways our communities do. And God and Torah and mitzvahs and, you know, now in Corona, it's a little more complicated to figure out what that is, right? What those frameworks are. But there are all these frameworks that Halacha in particular sets up for us to, to, that remind us all the time that we're ne'emanim, that we're in a relationship with God and that we're faithful to that relationship with God, even in a very private uh, context, even when there are difficulties and issues. I think there really is, there's an appeal to the, to the steadiness of that, but it's not the kind of thing that necessarily is going to get a thousand people at your Torah lecture, right? Um inherently if the thing that's going to be critical perhaps is to convey what that nemanut is then that has to be done through steady work in the community and i think one advantage that the modern orthodox community does have among many is a commitment to uh, dialogue and communication with a wide range of of members of the jewish community and and their perspectives. I think we need to keep those conversations going. We need to remain radically open to embracing people and helping them and helping them uh, develop the relationships, the relationships to Torah. Um, and at the end of the day, the thing that's of course most appealing is being able to see um, what the realization of a life of Torah mitzvot can lead to, and just how ennobling it can be. Uh, I don't think anything speaks stronger, stronger, stronger than that. I think that's great. I mean, the, uh, I suppose a question that, that we could ask is bearing in mind this, this idea of buy-in and then as you're saying, sort of just, just being open to that conversation with, um, 
with the people who are going to be, you know, engaging with that halacha, um, to what extent is is the modern orthodox outlook uh, reactive or is it proactive? Just looking at your resume, um, for example, the the Yowatsa halacha, um, you know, training women and having people having women sit and learn in great great depth to be able to. Uh, counsel and advise and decide halakha in specific issues that relate to women. Was that uh, something reactive to encourage more women to keep these areas of halakha that can be very difficult? And you, you use the word chok to, you know, they, we don't necessarily understand the reason for it. We just do it because that's what we do. Um, is that sort of to encourage more women just to be able to engage, to, to interact and to, to keep that area of halakha? Or is that that's the ideal? You know, women should be deciding halakha for women in women's issues um, and you know, men should be deciding halakha for men in men's issues. The, the establishment of the Oetzet Halakha program was definitely a response. I prefer the term response to reaction. It was definitely a response to a need within the community for, um, for women to have an address on these issues that... Um, that sometimes some women have wonderful relationships with their rabbanim and no problem discussing these matters with them. Um, but for the many women who might struggle to ask sensitive questions or to even raise relevant points of information that can impact an halachic uh, psaq, um, so there was a real, a real need within the community to create, to create that opportunity. Is there an ideal world where women are only talking halacha with women and men are only talking halacha with men? I don't think so. Um, I've learned some things from our conversation today, notwithstanding the fact that you're both male. Um, and I've been blessed to have some, you know, to have really outstanding uh, teachers who've been rabbanim and also some women taught me a tremendous amount about the world of halacha. And those conversations are particularly important because the community, in particular, the modern Orthodox community, is not a segregated community. It's a community in which, in which men and women often are mixing, not just in a professional framework, but in other frameworks as well. So the idea that you'd create some kind of silo just for women or silo just for men, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't see that as an ideal. I do think it's an ideal for as many people as possible to be learning and understanding halacha as well as possible. And that's something that filters up, right? There's a top-down way in which that happens, and there's a bottom-up grassroots way in which that happens. If, if we want to have productive conversations, let's say, about issues pertaining to women and mitzvot, then we really want as many women as possible to understand what our texts have to say about them and what and 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 how those sources have been read and understood we don't want those women to just go off and like you know found some desert island to you know inhabit halacha in we want those women to be as they are rooted in a community and we want those women to be able to take what they know and bring it to the table with other people in discussion. So in fact, I'm not in favor of saying that women should always go to women or men should always go to men. As you said, I've had plenty of examples of cases where women have dealt with extraordinarily sensitive rabbanim 
who've been great for them and have had, unfortunately, there can also be sometimes negative experiences with the Yoetzet Halacha. Not everything is, uh, you know, through the, through the lens of gender. But there is a certain vision of bringing more voices. I'll just give you an example, something we're working on right now. Um, under Acha, we've been working on the issue of Kol Isha. And one of the things that's been so interesting to us in trying to write it up is the relative dearth of materials that are um, directly addressing um, the woman and what, and, and what her role is in this. You know, that's right, kolisha or things that have to do with halachot uh, that have to pertain with whether or not a man can hear a woman's voice, possibly only her singing voice. So those that technically it's a prohibition on the man. Now that doesn't end the story in halacha because there are a lot of halacha concepts that bring the woman into the picture as well. But, you know, we found a fair amount of sources that talk about um, what a man should do in this situation if a woman's around him is singing. And we found... And, you know, we found discussions about um, men and women singing together in certain settings, but sort of the, that kind of basic discussion of you're a woman and you're not sure what to do when and how and how to navigate the fact that so many other people have different perspectives on this issue. Um, we haven't found as much with the exception of statements that just say, just move your lips and don't make sound, which can be very helpful and important. Um, to a lot of women, but don't necessarily answer every woman or every community's uh, questions. So there's something about bringing those voices to the table, which can benefit everyone. And then you wonder, well, once we explore this from this perspective, would that also inform the perspective of, of a Rav writing about this? And in fact, um, Rav Moshe Lichtenstein from Yeshivat Hartzion, when he wrote uh, an important article on Kalisha, it was published in Tradition. Um, he follows in the footsteps of the Street A.H. in talking about, well, what is the impact on all of us of women not singing? And how does that become a part of the halachic discussion? Now, here's what's important. That doesn't mean that automatically everything is always mutter, right? It doesn't necessarily mean the, the bottom line has to be lenient, though he does personally move in a lenient direction. Um, but it's a real consideration, and I think one of the reasons why that's a real consideration for him is the extent to which uh, he's, he's aware that that, that that is a real question uh, that, that women are asking. So bottom line, men and women need to be in halachic dialogue, and that's much more important than creating some kind of a uh, you know, separate system, what have you. Um, you mentioned a couple of times about um, types of information. So this, uh, within the modern Orthodox halachic process, there might be different types of information that are taken taken into account. Um, can you give a couple of examples of what those might be and how they might impact on the decision? Well, again, I, I don't think this is something that's unique to modern Orthodoxy, right? With Shlomo Zaman Oyerbach, who is one of the greatest post-skim of the last 100 years, let's say, is or maybe of all time, um, was renowned for exhaustively researching all of the scientific or medical information that would be relevant to his forming a psak, meaning that's good psika. Halachic decision-making about an issue that is not, is not aware of what the issue really is, isn't actually able to 
answer the question. Knowing the mitziyut, understanding the realia, is an essential quality of a posseg, and that's not something that's in the unique province of the modern Orthodox. But one of the interesting questions is sort of like, what's, what's an admissible point of evidence? Be kind of an interesting uh, question to ask. You know, so for example, um, would a sociological study about the tendency of women to leave orthodoxy over issue X, um, would that impact a post-Sakes uh, tshuva? Uh, right. So that that that, that could be uh, possibly a kind of question. Would there be more of a tendency to take that into account? On the other hand, if you think about the coronavirus rulings and you think about the remarkable sensitivity of Rabunim from across the spectrum to issues of mental health, right, to 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 to, to personal needs and considerations, shalom bayit considerations. Again, no one has the you know the the sole uh, proprietorship over being able to do due diligence. The real trouble is when a posake is not um, self-aware. And thank God, um, post-game on the whole, are self-aware and understand what are the things that I know and what are the things that I need to learn more about in order to do the entire process of halachic decision-making uh, justice. Um, I want to, I mean, thinking about of all the different sort of topics we've touched on, um, within this subject, how would you say it's different uh, or it manifests itself differently between communities in Israel and communities in the diaspora? Right. So I think one of the major distinctions is that the Datilumi community in Israel, first of all, is not necessarily committed to modernity. I mean, there's a there's a real variation of relationship to different types of culture. Um, to different types of questions. So that's that's one aspect of it. And then on the other side, the Datilumi community is very much involved in and also takes a lot of responsibility for a lot of national types of questions and institutions. Kashrut, uh, religious issues in the army, religious issues and how they relate to the allocation of health funds or, you know, we're doing stuff on fertility, right? So how does, what kind of voice is there about regulating or creating registries for um, sperm donation? And there's a, a, you know, there's a halachic aspect to that kind of question as well. And oftentimes, the, certainly other communities are engaged with these questions in Israel, some to more, some to less of an extent by force. Um, but the Datilumi community has really kind of embraced taking responsibility on a national level for these issues, including people who don't necessarily buy in, but sort of looking out for them halakhically, uh, I guess in a sort of paternalistic way as well. And that becomes very central to what's going on. The centrality also, the centrality of the state, the centrality of nationalism, where you know autonomy is again, such a key word for the modern Orthodox Jew, uh, in Israel, I think there's a much stronger collectivist identity, and there's that uh, there's 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 the sense of Jewish nationhood really takes um, takes a front seat a lot of the time in terms of thinking about in terms of thinking about issues. It's a, it's I think it's a stronger it winds up being given greater weight um, oftentimes in the Dati Lumi community. Uh, I think in America, modern orthodoxy, you'll have you have different other types of connections, which can be interesting. Uh, like, for example, Rav Soloveitchik pioneered interfaith relations and um, 
in a way that I think continues to have an impact on the broader Jewish community. And that's something that you have some of here in Israel, and perhaps it's growing, but I don't think it's been a primary concern of the Datilumi uh, Rabbanim up until perhaps recently. So some of this is natural. How much are you relating to secular studies and what they mean? You know, modern orthodoxy has been dealing with that in a more head-on way, I suppose, for a longer time. Um, so a lot of times those, I think those would be kind of central values or axes around which we might see, we might see some difference. And I mean, obviously, as someone who is um, working at the face of possibly two areas, let's say digital approaches and, um, and bringing the sources and the Quran access to women, what would you say is the sort of the future for modern Orthodox halacha, um, both within those two areas and in other areas, what do you see as the future for it? Well, if we're going back to our communal definition, right, so it's going to have to do with what's the future of the community. Nahon. Um, I think the real challenge for the modern Orthodox community, perhaps, is this challenge of depth. Uh, this challenge of are we, is, is the way in which we're integrating modernity with Torah, um, what, what, what is our way of doing it? What is the ideal way of doing it? What do these things, what do these things mean? How reflective are we about our decisions? And to the extent that uh, to the extent that the community uh, to the community is directly going to be dealing with those kind of depth issues, then I would expect for there to be a greater body of psak that's going to deal with ways in which uh, ways in which there's interface. And at the same time, I work on the internet, and I see that on the one hand, on Deracha, we have these detailed source-based articles. We also have, you know, brief things for people who are reading uh, less seriously, but it's a little different when you have something in depth right next to it, right? And we have source sheets. So you're giving people different access to the information. And yet, let's say the three weeks, we published something about the three weeks. There were a fair amount of readers who went in and, and, and looked at the article. Um, director of digital content is very talented, put up a thing, a post on Facebook about a reader's question and answer about getting a manicure during the three weeks. It's like three paragraphs long and that got about five times as many hits. And so I guess that that's, that's kind of the question. The question is, is as the internet culture, if it indeed continues to kind of spin out in the direction of sound bites, you know, is modern orthodoxy going to move with that or continue to move in that direction with halacha? Or is there going to be a, a, a real commitment to doing something that's going to be um, deeper and potentially much richer? The thing I'm really excited about is the potential for people in the field of halacha and lay people to get together and communicate in this wider range of, of forms. On the one hand, you know, we can have our fears about our things getting more shallow, or we can say, this is a tool. Let's work together to use it to help more and more people connect to Torah and its vote. And that's a tremendous opportunity to pursue. So, Robin Novik, I feel like we've just uh, scratched the surface of, of what we came here to discuss. And so hopefully we'll be able to have you back on uh, the current podcast another time 
to explore these ideas a little bit further. Thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you. It's been delightful. Well, that's it for another episode of the Corinne podcast. Thanks so much again to our guests, Rabbi Shlomo Brody and Rabbi Nit Lorinovic for joining us. Alex, if people want to get in touch, how can they reach us? We'd love to hear from you on social media. We are at Corin Pub Jerusalem on Facebook or at Corin Publishers on Instagram. You can email us podcast at corinpub.com If you want to learn more about some of the things that Rabbi Shlomo Brody and Rabbi Nit Lorinovic have been doing, you can follow some of the links in the show notes. Please also make sure to leave us a review and a rating wherever you're listening. You can also get 10% off Rabbi Shlomo Brody's book, A Guide to the Complex, from corinpub.com or 10% off the rest of your order using promo code podcast at checkout. Until next time, this has been The Corin Podcast. <laughs>